Hello, and welcome to episode 54 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, November 27th, 2020. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Happy belated Thanksgiving. You too. Well, we said we said happy turkey yesterday, but happy belated Thanksgiving if I didn't say happy Thanksgiving to you yesterday. <laughs> I can't remember what we talked about, but yeah. But uh, yeah, went pretty well. We finished up the day by watching Princess Bride, which is such a nice movie. And our whole family That's enjoys nice. it. That's nice. It was kind of a different day with just a small crew and still way too much food as usual. <laughs> And it was, it was good. Yeah. The only thing I did wrong was I only made one pumpkin pie. Um, so we, we did not have that. We didn't have that problem. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't really, I didn't fully think that through, but the, the problem with that was we had plenty for last night, but we finished it at like 10 PM, which meant there was nothing to snack on this morning. Yeah. I had pumpkin pie for breakfast or with breakfast. Uh, it's a vegetable. So it's, you know, totally <laughs> a healthy breakfast. I think, but yeah, so I was a little, little sad. So it was a good day and now we get to have a chat. We will be discussing on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand. And as promised, we will have our gift recommendations in under the tree. Uh, so on the needles, Courtney, take it away. I have a finished object. Yay. Thank you. And I blocked that baby. So like extra points. Nice. Yeah. Um, it It is near perfect. There's only like one little wiggle lump where I cast on. It didn't totally curve with the rest of it, but I can live with that. And nobody's looks, looking that closely at it anyway. No, it <laughs> looks so good. At, I always forget, well, because I don't knit very often or ever. I forget what blocking, what kind of magic blocking does. And it changed the whole thing. In fact, it prompted me to add an item to the gift ideas because I bought a really fancy soap to block it with. Not really fancy, but so I'm excited. I added that to my gift list. Yep. It's blocked. It's dried. It's. So how did you block it? I washed it by hand with the fancy soap. And then I gently rolled it in a towel to absorb most of it. And then my kids have a wrestling mat in the garage. And when it's open or folded shut, I should say, the backside is a really lightweight foam. And I put a clean towel down and then I laid the scarf on that and it's indirect sunlight. And so it's really warm in there, but it's not in the light and it dried and I don't know, maybe eight, 10 hours. It was oh, nice. super fast. Yeah. Did you pin it or anything? I didn't. I just kind of pulled it or not pulled it even really just sort of gently laid it flat. And yeah, it was heavy enough that it didn't really need to be. I've seen yours pinned down like some of your lacy ones and I don't think it needed that. I think it might've curved it a little bit if I had done that, but yeah, no, I, I wouldn't think I wouldn't think that you would need pins for that. It's a really simple yeah. thing. And it's yeah. that you need to 
pin into submission. (laughs) Yeah. So it was really exciting to get that off the needle, that super stretchy binding that you recommended. Mm -hmm. I forget, I forget the shorthand for it. Um, Was it surprisingly stretchy? No, the one that you knit, knit, knit through the back loop. Yeah. Yeah. It's off the needles. And then as soon as it was off the needles, I was on Ravelry looking for (laughs) what I'm going to knit next and being very ambitious because I said I didn't want some heavy knit sweater, but then I found myself looking at sweater coats and (laughs) dude, you got to finish the other one. I know. Well, see, now you can do it. Now, you know, you can do it. You can finish an object. You have finished an object so you can do it. Well, in my knit vacuum, I realized I should do the other sweater. So I ripped the whole collar out and I ripped back both the cuffs. It is to the, this final skein, which was part of the batch is too dark. And so now I'm kind of like going in and weaving it in. I, so I re-knit a cuff the way that I wanted it. And I'm going to do the collar so that the darker bit is in the back and mm-hmm. do the lighter portion in front. I think that'll work because it, the collar is kind of attached, but then it goes from collarbone to chin up and down all the way around that way. Yeah. It's a big honking collar. It is. It's like a four inch collar, but I think I'll be able to do, you know, a lighter portion on each side of it. It's a cardigan and then leave the darker yarn in back. I think I have enough yarn to do that. And then I may started to finish it. I have, and I may take up the, the bottom cuff on the cardigan. I would like it about an inch longer and in the pattern it's stocking it for 10 and then a rib stitch or a, um, a purl stitch. It's kind of a weird design and it rolls. So I may look for a different way to solve that. I don't know if I'll just do stock in it and then maybe a stretchy or bind off, or if I'll mimic the one-to-one rib that's on the collar and the cuffs. Yeah. That seems like that would be a, I mean, that would be a lot of ribbing, Yeah, but would probably if you don't want it to roll would be the way to go. Yeah. So, so what, so what other kind of things were you looking at? There is a sweater coat that I love. It's got some color work on the cuff, on the sleeve cuff, which is like a bell sleeve. It's a cardigan and it has like an ICAT pattern, ICAT. Oh, and there's a, a cardigan from Vera Valamaki that downtown block which has like a rib stitch to the so a big thing that I did was look up if if your bust if your bust doesn't match like if I instead of doing a full bust adjustment which I'm not prepared to do in knitting which patterns are accommodating for that kind of either ease or look best And so a lot of them, a lot of the books said to look at the yoke pattern or a raglan because you'll have more, you can, it's easier to add a couple stitches or I don't know, you can do one size to your upper bust and then size up for the 
over the bust. So that was my challenge with knitting for my shape. And I did order a few books about that, which you have recommended to me in the past. I just... Oh, you, I was going to say, I have several books that deal with this issue. <laughs> I can certainly lend them to you because yeah, adjustments are not an issue for me normally. Well, I did order a bunch from the library, but I think I think for my my next project, and I, I don't know what colors I'm going to do or anything like that, it is called the Boho Style Mosaic Cardigan by Irene Lynn, and it looks like this. Oh, that's adorable. I wouldn't, and it's an open front cardigan, so I wouldn't think, at least for that one, you would have to do too many adjustments. Right. So that it could is, be a nice choice. Yeah, and I love, it has like a kind of fringe on the cuff and the bottom. It's a shawl collar, which I sometimes like. I think it would be great for around the house. Yeah. And I love the colors that it's in right here, which looks like gray and it's not really an eye cat. It's more like a zigzag. Very striking. Thank you. What weight is the yarn in? What weight is the yarn? That's a great question. Worsted. So it'll go a little faster than. Yeah. Right. So finished object. How about you? I have a finished sweater. So exciting. My uh, Celtic cardigan by Aceta Krebs, I finally finished and I'm super happy with it. There are a few little, little issues, but there always are. Yeah. Yeah. So finish the sleeves. It was a little tricky. <laughs> I had to do a lot of thinking and my colors turned out, they're a little bit different, but again, I don't think anybody's really going to look close enough to notice. Sleeves are super long, but I had to do that to get all the colors in. So I just did a lot of ribbing and so they're folded back and they're still pretty long, but it's super comfy. It blocked out really nicely. So it turned out a little bit longer, which I was for the body I was pleased with, but it fits nicely through the shoulders. So that's, that is key. I think the cable looks nice. There was an option to do some hip shaping. So to make it a little bit more flared and I didn't do that and I kind of regret it. I don't think it really matters, but I do feel like a little bit more room would have been nice, even though it's open, it's an open front cardigan. So I didn't think it would really need that, but I think it still kind of does. However, still very pleased with it. Super comfy. The yarn is really nice. This is the um, blue brick. Her sweater set yarn. Uh, I think it's the Killarney sock. So that is off the needles and on to my shoulders. So yeah, it's on your person right now. On my person. Yeah. So I got to take some photos and yeah. Awesome. So because I finished that, I did finally sit down and cast on my Atlantica car uh, cardigan pullover. This was about 200 plus stitches in the tubular cast on, which looks gorgeous, but starts off with provisional. So you crochet all those stitches uh, and I crochet them onto my knitting needle. And then, then you start knitting and then it's like four or five rows of preparation to get the cast on. And then you start <laughs> four inches of one by one ribbing. Yeah. On size three needles. So that's basically oh all I've done. Yeah. This week is actually, that's a lie. Mostly that's what I've done is my knitting is doing that, that four inches. I was like, oh, this is a lot of really tiny knitting. And so the yarn is from Viche Bouche, the petite lamb's wool. And one strand is light gray and the other is a dark violet blue. 
So it's going to be this marled effect. And it'll look similar to the sample or one of the samples in the pattern, which is in the issue number 34 of Pom Pom Magazine, which is now not the most recent one, but the one just just before this last last quarter, I guess. And it's by Audrey Borrego. So we shall see. Um, I finished the four inches yesterday morning, I think. I had realized that I didn't have, I have the size needle that I need, but it's not long enough. So I ordered a new needle and that is out for delivery currently. So I should be well, able thank, to. Yeah. Thank goodness. So, so I'm pretty excited. It's, it's nice. It's a lot of ribbing, but I feel pretty proud. Oh, and to get me through the ribbing, guess what I started watching? What? Great British Baking Show. <laughs> Finally. I know it's adorable. I just started with the most recent season. I don't know. It was the middle of the day. I didn't want anything serious. I just wanted something that wasn't going to be too complicated. I didn't have to pay attention to, you know, but I needed podcasts. I listened to most of them already and they weren't really keeping my brain occupied enough to get through all that ribbing. So I just, yeah, I've gotten through a lot of episodes. It's adorable. It's so feel good. But why are they in a tent? This is what I don't understand. Are they always in a tent or is that just 2020? They're always in a tent. I don't understand that. They did. They had an ice cream episode. They had to make an ice cream cake and it was like the hottest day ever. <laughs> what, what What are you people doing? I don't know. But other than that, it's great. Have you seen this up this season? Um, I haven't been watching this season because it just released. Oh, did it? I think so. There's a matcha. Matcha. <gasps> Uh-huh. So I was totally thinking of you. I love matcha. It seems like whenever somebody tries to do matcha, though, the judges are not impressed. So it's interesting that they've decided to do an entire matcha episode because no, I it's, get not, the- it's, um, it's Japanese week and one of like the technical challenge involves matcha. I have to watch that straight mm-hmm. away for my Lemon Latitude project. Oh, yeah. It's super cute. So, well, Monica, yeah. better late than never to the great British baking show party. Yep. Anyway, so that's Atlantica. <laughs> and then <laughs> we have new babies in the family. So I need to do my baby Christmas hats, which I've, this is, I think, round four. So just simple baby hat. Uh, I think Susan B. Anderson's pattern. And I'll put a pom pom on it. I guess technically I haven't totally finished them, but. We're counting them. I just need to do pom-poms. And so the yarn is from Yarn Loving Lady, her DK. And the colorway is Grandma's Christmas Candy. And it's a creamy white with forest green and cranberry red speckles all over it. It's really cute. Usually I do striping. If you haven't joined us before, I make knitted Christmas hats for the, the baby, the new babies in my family, just because I love the Christmas striped yarn and I'm not going to wear it. So I to <laughs> this is kind of my excuse. So I didn't find any stripy ones that I loved this year. So I went with this red and green speckle, which I really like. So yeah, so I finished those off. Baby hats are so fast and, the, and there's no patterning. It's just a straight hat. And then I'll make pom-poms and send them off so they can enjoy them for the holiday season. And then because this is the time of year where I suddenly realize I want to knit gifts for everybody in my family. <laughs> I don't know why I can't get my act together during the rest of the year, but 
just doesn't happen. I guess I could just go with it and then save them for next year also. But anyway, so I cast on a pair of socks for my dad. Mom, if you're listening, shh, don't tell him. Because I haven't knit him anything in a while. And I thought socks might be nice. So I cast on the Vanilla Latte Socks by Virginia Rose Jeans. Pulled some old stash yarn out. Sanguine Griffin Eidos. And they have been out of business. Uh, they retired or one of them retired anyway for years. I have some of their yarn still. That's yep. back when I would go with you to stitches more often, I think. February 2011. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> this is some old yarn. Uh, still beautiful. And it's kind of olive green and chocolatey brown. There's little pops of blue in there. Excellent. Very well blended. So even though you can see the different colors, it, it's not super variegated looking. It just looks like lots of texture. So yeah, so that's a, it's a simple sock. Um, it just has a row of, or a couple columns of garter stitch in between a basic pocketnet. So yeah, so I've been working on those a little bit while waiting for my new needles to come in for my sweater. And then we will see what happens. And I've got on Tuesday, the advent calendars all come into play as well. So it's going to so be busy, busy, busy knitting times. Yeah, tis the season. Yep. What is on the easel? Well, it is still gouache vember, if you'll recall. Oh, gosh, it is actually. <laughs> I know everybody is so eager to jump the gun and turn the calendar. But speaking of calendars, in between the gouache vember sketches, I built that 2021 calendar and it is officially at the printers, which Ooh. I have. Yeah, I've never enlisted a printer before. And it is entirely nerve wracking because I'm not sure how the print quality is going to come out. And so I didn't hear from them yet with a proof because it's the holiday. So I'm really hoping to hear from them maybe today or Monday. I ordered some extra so that I could sell some because so many people are asking if I'm going to sell them. I'll have more information about that once I see the print quality. I want to make sure that it's decent before I offer them up to the world because my name is on it. So, <laughs> so I'm really excited about that. For Gouache Vember, we've had a huge crew and the only snafu, if it can even be called that, is that crazy Instagram algorithm that usually does like most if you hashtagging something, it does like most popular and most recent. And because of the election, they turned it off or something like that. So it's really been tricky to see who's been posting things mo more recently. And you kind of have to hunt around a little bit more. But we've got a big group over there. Daria has been doing a great job painting every day. I have missed a few, but I generally am pretty good about backfilling and catching up. And I did a live painting session with Charlotta from Blue Shine Art. And I painted some terrible fruits, a pear and a pomegranate that I wasn't happy with because it's hard to paint and talk. And to that end, I think I just need more practice with it. So today, after we hop off, Daria and I are going to do a live painting session where we paint today's prompt, which is a plant, I think. I hope, because that's what I pulled the source images for. And so 
we're just going to keep going strong through the end of November with the quash and, and, you know, educating the, the public at large about the wonderfulness of gouache paint. Although I did tell my brother-in-law last night, he showed me a picture and I said, oh, I'd love to paint that. It's a guy holding a fish. I have this thing about, um, I love fishermen photos where, you know, people are holding up their catch and they just look so happy. And then the fish is varying degrees of tiny to huge. And it always makes me laugh. And there's usually like a great snap horizon background behind them, a lake or an ocean. And there's something about that composition that I really like. And my, my brother-in-law who is here all the time, didn't realize that I paint with gouache paint and, and he heard squash paint. This is the running joke around here. It's not even funny anymore because that's the same thing your husband thinks, right? Yeah. My husband jokingly calls it squash paint, which is what I'm going to name the gouache zine when I get around to finishing that. So that is what's on the easel. I don't know what I'm going to do in December, but I'm in a really good place. You know, it was hard to have a holiday without my mother-in-law and without my dad. What a crazy year, but it was almost better that we had done this sort of weird altered small group anyway. It didn't feel as jarring, but I finally feel like I'm painting and on a regular basis and that I'm not like forcing myself to paint just for the, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Like I was very distracted or grieving rather. And I just starting to feel that lift a little bit in a good way. So yeah, I'm excited to paint in December. I love to paint Christmas things. I haven't found a prompt list or an advent list or anything like that yet, but um, I'm still looking. Cool. What's been on your rushing to finish a chapbook? Right. I am painting the envelopes for the calendars that are going to family, but I started them the other day and made a template so that my little pencils are, so I made a, uh, I cut a template so that I can just draw the outside, just the outside edges of the pencil to keep it straight and not too fat. (laughs) So off I go on pencil production. So exciting. All right. On the table. I did have one non-Thanksgiving recipe, although I think you could totally serve it for Thanksgiving. Smitten Kitchens, sweet potatoes with pecans and goat cheese. Gosh, this was from 2010. Huh. So she takes the sweet potato and thick slices it and then roast those off without moving them very much. So they get super caramelized and then makes kind of a a relish to go on top with pecans and goat cheese. And I think she put celery in it. That did not happen for me. And cranberries. So very autumnal. And then you put that on top. So it did not make a lot. It definitely could have doubled it easily. Um, But it made a nice little side dish for my family and everybody liked it. I loved all the flavors. Sweet potatoes did get super, super extra delicious. So that was fun. Although boy two is not a squash fan. He's gallantly... (laughs) surging along with dinner, but we've had a lot of squash (laughs) and I don't see that ending anytime soon because it is squash season. Yeah. Tis tis what's growing. Yeah. So, but yeah, our Thanksgiving went pretty well. I, I 
didn't mind the small one because I've gotten to organize and be in charge of Thanksgiving maybe four times in my cooking life. So it's kind of fun to do it once every five years or so. You know, I always get to bring something or help my mom if she's hosting, but actually running the show is a little different. And I'm super proud of myself. We sat down to dinner five minutes after I had timed it that I wanted to be. So I thought that was pretty good. Turkey did not work. Well, I didn't have a whole turkey. I had a breast and two legs. Um, and I think they weren't, I think the breast wasn't totally defrosted because it was not cooked all the way through when it should have been. So threw it back in the oven. It was fine. We still had the drumsticks and, you know, the 15,000 side dishes. So it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. Two recipes that I kind of wanted to talk about were my easy vegan gravy from the minimalist baker and my vegan gluten-free stuffing from Snixie kitchen. I don't know if they were totally vegan, but they were definitely vegetarian. Yeah. So the gravy was something I was worried about because usually you use the turkey drippings and that wasn't going to work. And then most, you know, packet gravies are not vegetarian either, or, you know, there was a couple of things. William Sonoma has a gluten-free gravy, but it's turkey based and their vegetarian one has has gluten in it. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> Not helpful. But so I found some recipes. And the one I found was the most simplest. A lot of them were doing a lot of things to get the umami flavor in that like using yeast packets and or, you know, baker, uh, some, I don't know, weird stuff. I didn't know what it was. Didn't feel like dealing with the other one. So this one was just uh, dried porcini mushrooms softened in vegetable broth, and then onions and what else was in there? Garlic. That might be it. Do you think you could use miso? Miso paste? Probably. I think some of them had miso. This one, you thickened it with cornstarch and then dumped the mushrooms and the broth in and used your immersion blender. Yeah. And it was really, I mean, it definitely tasted like mushrooms, but it had that hearty, meaty flavor. Um, and I realized my mom use, usually makes a mushroom gravy anyway. So I'm kind of used to that being the flavor, but it was really good. It made a ton. We had plenty. I think we still have a lot left over and I really liked the flavor on that. So, so that was a win that I was pretty excited about. I think that was one of the things I was most worried about. I don't know why Like it's gravy. <laughs> it's not going to be the end of the world, but I guess you do put it on a lot of the things. So. Yeah. I didn't make a gravy and we missed it a little bit just for the potatoes and the stuffing. And then my gluten-free stuffing was another one that I was kind of, I wasn't overly worried about. I figured I could always just use gluten-free bread and, you know, just sub that out and it, it would be fine. But a lot of them, I, you know, I was thinking I could use cornbread maybe, but a lot of the cornbread ones also have sausage. So I wanted to make sure I was finding something that, that would work. Um, so this one from Snixie Kitchen has pears and shiitake mushrooms and leeks in it. So Excellent. I was like, well, that sounds great. Even if, you know, any kind of bread would be fine. So I used bread from, shoot, I forget who it is. They're a local baker and they make, she used to like ride around on bikes and <laughs> deliver the bread to you. And now they're at specialty grocery stores. The uh, one that's in the refrigerated section? Yeah. Yeah. I know which one you mean. I can't think of it either. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it comes in like a pretty solid loaf, the sourdough one. And my husband 
loves it on its own. And it made, that's not the one that was called for in the recipe, but I think it's a similar product. So it just, it made just enough bread to fill up a nine by 13 pan and you saute the vegetables and throw it all in, mix it with some vegetable broth. I, I thought it was a little bit too wet, um, which was my fault. I didn't want it to be too dry. And since I don't yeah. normally make stuffing, I kind of overdid it. And then it still felt really moist, which I mean, is also good. There were a little, little bit crispy on the top, um, but my family loved it. Everyone was happy about it. I really liked the flavors. That was great you know, with the sage and the rosemary and everything. That was my only problem. My grocery store was out of sage and rosemary. <laughs> they had all the other herbs, but no, no fresh sage or rosemary unless they were hiding them somewhere. So I had to use the ones from my, my cupboard, but, but overall that was good. I had a similar problem with the stuffing and couldn't find the right fresh herbs for it. And so got up the stool and was hunting around through my cupboard. And I realized that I had bought a package of Bell's seasoning last year for gouache vember <laughs> to paint something for gouache vember. And I used that in the stuffing. Excellent. We were laughing about it because it was one of my favorite paintings from last year. So, you know, our influences, life influences are. <laughs> yeah, very true. Oh, and the lesson learned things you forget about when you've been cooking for a while. Like, even though you set a timer for the potatoes being done, you still check them before you dump them out. Yes. My 16 year old hasn't learned that lesson yet. So when I said, oh, the timer's gone off. He's like, okay, started adding stuff. It's like, and then he's mushing them and starts to go, this is kind of hard. I was like, oh, didn't you check them? He's like, no, the timer went off. So luckily they were, they were, they were actually soft enough that for maybe a few lumps. They weren't, they weren't totally soft. So we kept adding more butter and, and milk um, and they turned out fine. So, but <laughs> note to self, make That's sure great. you include, check the softness of the root vegetable. That's great. Whatever it is. Yeah. So. But yes, it was very nice. And uh, I just inherited my grandmother's china, or I didn't inherit it. It finally came came to me from my aunt. So we got to use that. So that was kind of special. Nice. I like that. How about you guys? Well, I have a recipe that is going to sound like it belongs with the Thanksgiving gang, but it I made it last week and it was excellent. I'm tossing it in because people might have leftover turkey and want to make a turkey lentil chili. Ooh. Yeah, it was yeah. really good. It called for a lot of lentils and I did half the lentils and I threw in like a half a cup of rice because I wanted the boys to eat it. And they did. Everyone loved it. It reheated beautifully. I did use ground turkey, but I think if you cubed up turkey, it would be nice for those who have leftovers. Could um, you, you could just throw it in at the end. Yeah. Cause you cook the lentils, you, you cook the lentils separately in some stock while you saute off your onion. And I forget what else is in there off the top of my head. And then I did the ground, the ground turkey at that point. And I know everybody thinks it's crazy to cook turkey chili before Thanksgiving, but we did not have a turkey. So I knew it wasn't going to be a turkey overload. 
so I have that great recipe and I, we really loved it. And it was very satisfying on account of the lentils. I'll have that in the notes for Turkey. We had a really modified year. We did not do bird at all. And we're in a little pod with my brother-in-law and Papa Bill, of course. And then my boys have a wrestling coach who lives alone and he joined us. Well, nice. Yeah. And it, I mean, we've all been together this whole time. So it felt very safe and kind of joyful to have a new person with us for the holiday when we can't be with the, the whole family. My brother-in-law made a prime rib and, you know, we're not big red meat people. And this was big red meat. <laughs> yeah. So I also made a salmon because I don't really eat red meat. Um, and that was nice to have my flippity fish in the mix. We did my father-in-law. I think I mentioned this last time. All he wanted was deviled eggs, stuffing and chocolate mousse. I mean, that does sound delicious. Right. And so he got that. And then we also made mashed potatoes and Brussels sprouts with bacon. And Colin, the wrestling coach, wanted lima beans, which I'm happy to report that I still don't care about. And I made stuffing. But I think the favorite thing out of the I don't usually make the salad on the holidays. My mother, that was something my mother-in-law always liked to do. And so this year I made the salad and I did salad greens, a pomegranate that I painted the other day with Charlotta and an avocado and goat cheese and an Asian pear like cubed up in there. And I made a vinaigrette with rice wine vinegar, a little bit of garlic, a little bit of olive oil and a splash of maple syrup. It had some Dijon mustard in there too. The dressing was just spot on. It was a delightful salad. And I really, it was something my mother-in-law would have, I, I felt her pat on the back. So that was really the, um, that was my favorite thing from the day was the. Is that a traditional salad that she would make or you just always have a green salad and it changes? She would champion the salad and she was very good about going to farmer's market the day or the Saturday before and finding things that were totally in season and beautiful and making a really colorful salad. And it often had fruit and nuts and cheeses and that kind of thing in it. She's also, she also often put pancetta or bacon in it. And I didn't do that because I felt like we had every other animal under the sun and I wanted a meat-free salad. It's crazy <laughs> to say, but <laughs> I wanted one meat-free dish. Fair enough. And it ended up being, I think, one of my favorite things. But before the whole party got underway, I did a cookie lesson with Colin. So Colin has been here twice a week all summer. And when we started baking for the hundred cookies review, he was often the recipient and taste tester of our cookies for that cookbook review. And so he kept asking me questions like, how do you get them so flat? Or how do you get them so perfect or like perfectly round? 
or, you know, this one I liked, how would I tweak this so that it's, you know, he was just good about asking questions and he asked for a cookie making lesson. And so yesterday we set up the kitchen like a cooking show and put the mixer on the island and had all the ingredients out. And my husband had to remind me to not jump in and just talk him through the whole thing. So he made the cookies. Wow. And it was really fun. It was, it felt sort of festive to, to do this big lesson. And then, and then they went off and wrestled for (laughs) a couple of hours. So that was just straight up chocolate chip. Okay. One of the recipes from the book or your recipe? My recipe, I guess, because I know it by heart, but I am going to, I think I will maybe gift him that cookbook for Christmas. It Mm. seems appropriate, (laughs) but we did do a little vanilla sampling where I brought out the big bottle that I have from Costco. And then the other two that I have been curing in the cupboard, the, the vanilla one and the bourbon one. Mm -hmm. And we sort of smelled the difference between those three and it was fun. It was a fun day in the kitchen. Yeah. That does sound nice. I'm hoping I don't have to go to the kitchen for a few days though. (laughs) Truth be told. I didn't make donuts this morning though. So we didn't have leftover pie. Oh, that's true. I needed something. So I made donuts. Yeah. Okay. They were good. They're, you know, they're in the little, I have a donut maker. So. Oh, I have a donut pan that's for baking off donuts. Yeah. I don't know which one would be, then you could make them all at once as opposed to this, but yeah. Anyway, it works. All right. Is that it? Yeah. I think the only, um, I'll put the turkey lentil chili recipe on, and then I do every once in a while, this really special, um, Kalamata butter for the salmon that I haven't shared ever on the podcast. And it's a huge treat and I love it. And it's from 20 years ago. So I, I will share that recipe too. That sounds really good as well. All right. On the nightstand. So I've been on vacation this week. So there's been a lot of reading being done just to warn y'all. <laughs> I mean, we can There's handle a lot of reading going on. It has not gotten any less. We'll say that. Okay. So I will try and keep it concise if possible. All right, here we go. Let's see, I'm going to have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's, there, anyway, we'll get to it. All right. So the first one was The Unlikely Escape of Uriah Heap by H.J. Perry. This one takes place in Wellington, New Zealand. Rob is a lawyer early thirties and his younger brother, Charlie, who is an English professor has just moved back to teach at the university. Rob loves his younger brother. However, Charlie is able to, if he's not paying attention, read characters out of books. They will manifest and come to life. Started when he was four with the cat in the hat. So it's been, it's been a problem. Um, He tries to control it, but you know, he's an English professor. So he spends a lot of time reading. Rob gets a call from Charlie. Uriah Heep has escaped from his book. Uriah Heep is a villain from Dickens. So from there, shenanigans ensue. There's uh, a a street, like a Dickens street that has appeared in the middle of Wellington. Bad people taking over the world. Mysteries. 
all sorts of delightful bookishness characters all over the place. It was really cute. It was it was fun. If you like books and characters, books about books, this was really good. I think it's our first book and it probably could have been edited a bit. It was toward the end. I was like, okay, let's let's finish this up. This is a lot of thinking about what you're going to do. Let's just go do it. So, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was fun, you know, seeing all the characters and who she chose to to come out. Lots of thinking about how stories work and the relationship between a reader and a book. And so I really liked that one. Uh, the Unlikely Escape of Uriah Heat by H.J. Perry. And then I listened to The Language of Secrets by Asma Zenet Khan. This is the second book in her mystery series um, about Bessa and Rachel, who are police detectives in Canada. Usually they revolve around the Muslim community. He is like the community coordinator with the police department. So if there is a crime that involves the Muslim community, he is brought in to kind of make sure that the two sides talk to each other and understand what's going on. So this one, the kind of Canadian Homeland Security is uh, one of their undercover agents is murdered in the woods during a training mission, but he's underground. So trying to investigate it is a little complicated. So they bring Essa in as a police detective to sort of investigate without blowing the undercover mission that they have going on. So it was fine. You know, it's a mystery. I listened to it. It was, there's some hockey in it because it's in Canada. So that was good. They're not fantastic. Best mysteries ever, but it was, it was good, good audio listening. And I like, because the, the first one in the series kind of fo- focused on Bosnian Muslims. And this was more a, vari- a variety of Middle Eastern Muslims. Um, but so she does look at the different communities and the way the differences in their nationalities affects things. Um, so I, I like that part. There's a lot of, you know, things that I don't know. I always like learning new things. And that was Language of Secrets by Asma Zenet Khan. And then I read Just Us by Claudia Rakin. She is a professor at Yale, and I think she's a poet as well. This was an amazing book. First of all, the book itself was beautiful. It just came out in September, so I ended up getting the hardcover from my local bookstore. And wow, if you can get the hardcover it's and you like books, <laughs> it's totally worth it. The paper is super thick. The cover art is beautiful. It's set up so that the, the text is on the right-hand page, and on the left side is kind of footnotes. So just the the layout is really interesting. So footnotes and data and photographs and things like that. So even though it feels like a lot of reading, you're going through it pretty quickly. I love when books do that, when they play with the format a little bit. And that's really cool. Yeah, it was definitely part of the experience. So it is... I keep wanting to say it's kind of a meditation on whiteness. She studies, I forget what her specialty is, but race relations. But it's not a heavily academic work, like stamped from the beginning, you know, is very academic, I felt. Or not, you know, it's readable, but academic. This is more of her personal thoughts about the work she's been doing. And that's why there's the footnotes or the side notes, I guess. So when she has a thought, you know, she'll relate it back to where where she is getting data, facts and figures, that kind of thing. But it's a lot of her personal experiences. It was just, I don't know, I thought it was beautifully written. It really made me think about things in a way that other 
books about race relations haven't. Uh, it was, I read it from my book club. We had a pretty good discussion about it. You know, there's definitely a lot of stuff to talk about. And I think it's the third in a trilogy of books that she's written about this. So I'd be kind of interested to go check them out and see what else she's had to say. Um, that was Just Us by Claudia. I'm going to say Ray Keen, and I did not look it up, so not entirely sure, but uh, it will be in the show notes with everything else. And then, because it was vacation, I went full plot-based. So there's not a lot of character development happening in these next five books. So just <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> if, you need, if you need character development, these are not the books for you. Maybe this first one, uh, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. This is the first in the trilogy. It came out last year. The second one just came out, so I still have to wait for the third one. Uh, one of the book blurbs said it is lesbian necromancers explore a haunted castle in space plus skeletons. And that is pretty much true. In Unless space? In space, Like yes. you, ha- you had me until space. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they're on a planet. The haunted castle is on a planet, so they're not like floating around, but they do... <laughs> travel from their planet to the new planet with the haunted castle and they are necromancers so there's a lot of skeletons if you have a weak stomach i would not recommend i mean they're doing magic around death so there's like they're using blood and they talk about it and there are skeletons and so it is (laughs) so it's such a weird book but i really liked it with an intro like that i can't wait to hear the rest (laughs) so i mean so the storyline is not too weird. It's just that there's skeletons and necromancers. Makes it kind of odd and special. But it's it's a good story. So the the undying emperor is running out of assistance. So he needs a new, like his cabinet level people. He needs a new one. So he's having a competition. Uh, the eight heirs of all the, the houses, the lead houses, um, have been called to his planet to compete, to become one of his immortal cabinets. Gideon was brought up on the ninth planet and she just wants to be a soldier, but the heirs always need, uh, it's basically their, their chief bodyguard. It's called a cavalier. And so her heir who is Harrow makes a deal with Gideon where Gideon will be her cavalier for this competition. And then she'll kind of release her and help her get into the army. And so Gideon agrees, even though they hate each other. So off they go for this competition, which is sort of, you show up, one of those, like, you show up and they're like, yeah, here you go, figure it out. That's the Haunted Castle. Many shenanigans. It started off a little bit slow, I think, because she had to do so much buildup and laying the groundwork of the world and the planet, and then you get to the new place and what's going on and the background, And but it's so weird and different that you are, your head is kind of spinning, trying to figure all this stuff out and keep the keep the characters straight that you don't really notice that nothing's happened until halfway through. But once it gets going, it really gets going. I'm excited for the next two books. If you can handle a little weirdness, <laughs> this is, this is kind of a fun one. Um, and then I went, I went romance. So we got, we got a lot of love, a lot of love happening. Three of these are very open door, very open door. So that's not your thing. Don't read them. What does that, what does that mean? Open door is how much of the sex is visible in a romance. So some of them, they just sort of like close the door and the couple, like, you know what the couple is doing. Scene fade. Some of them, it's all very, very described. So like PG-13 versus... 
R no. or NC-17. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. it's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't read anything quite this descriptive in a while. So the first one is Beauty and the Mustache by Penny Reed. I don't know. It's the worst title ever. I don't I don't even know what it was. I, and I, I've read the book. I don't even understand where the title comes from. So there's that. Anyway, it is number four in her Knitting in the City series. That's why I picked it up. My library didn't have one through three on Libby, so I started with number four. So it's fine. The it, the series is like follows, there's a knitting group in Chicago, and I think each of the ladies gets their own book. So this one is number four. So Ashley is from Tennessee. She left home at 18 to go to college, and now she is a pediatric nurse practitioner. She hasn't been home in the eight years since she left, but she talks to her mom every day and hasn't been able to get in touch with her for two days. So she flies home where her six brothers are still living at home with her mom and they don't really know what's going on either. But her mom is in the hospital. Turns out she has cancer, about six weeks to live. So Ashley is going to stay. Her mom will be in hospice and she will deal with all of this. It's a little bit of an odd setup for a romance novel, but I'm not a writer. So there is a, a man, Drew, I mean, it's a romance. Uh, he has become friends with all her brothers. He's the her oldest brother's boss. He's the, the game warden for the Great Smoky Mountains. Also become friends with her mom. Shenanigans ensue. It was, it was a fine book. There wasn't a ton of knitting, so that was a little disappointing, but there was some yarn porn, so I enjoyed that. And they discussed um, stash expectancy beyond life, so that was also... Amusing. She definitely knows her her knitting stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was a romance. It was it was amusing. The characters were amusing. I didn't I didn't fully buy all of them, but I do want to go back and check out some of the other ones because you because it's in the middle of the series, so you can tell like okay, these three ladies are married, so they've already had their books. These three ladies are not married, so they haven't had their books yet. One of them is married to like a CIA hacker, so that sounded kind of interesting. And um, so, awful title aside, I would you know recommend it for a fun little romp. Um, then you had me at Ola by Alexis Daria. This one I, I really like. Jasmine is a soap opera star and she's trying to move to the next level. She just got a daytime Emmy nomination and now she has a chance to star in her own series on what they call screen flicks, but it's basically Netflix. She's just had a very messy public breakup with a rock star. So she's trying to get her life back in order, focus on her career. The show is filming in New York City where she's from. And she is of Puerto Rican and Filipino descent. And so the TV show is full Latinx cast and crew. So exciting on multiple levels. Her leading man is Ashton. He is a telenovela star, also trying to make the leap to the next level, get to Hollywood. So they are playing a couple, obviously sparks fly, shenanigans ensue. There's issues. He has secrets. She has secrets. I really like this one also. It's nice to see a Latin cast, you know, you don't get that a lot. So for representation, it's really nice, but it was, it was fun, enjoyable. And you get kind of that behind the scenes of the rich and famous, which is, you know, the life of a TV star, which is kind of amusing. These sound, these all sound like tremendous page Yeah, I told turners. you, it's all plot. <laughs> like I read each of these in a day because they're not, they're not complicated. And then you can like skip over the sex scenes if you're not interested, which I'm like, mm, okay, I get the idea. <laughs> so. Depends how you feel about that. Some people might want to study it more. I don't know. 
And then I read Majesty by Catherine McGee. This is actually, it might actually be young adult. I think I saw that on one of the Goodreads lists. So this one is actually not a romance. This is the follow-up to American Royals. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's the continuation. Um, America has its first queen. She's descended from George Washington. And, uh, yeah, so now she's queen and a whole new set of issues. And, you know, everyone has to rearrange their love life and learn to deal with their new position and paparazzi and all the same stuff. So I like this one a little bit better. I think there was a little, there was a little bit of character growth in this one. So <laughs> not entirely plot driven, but basically just plot driven, but very sweet. I'm not sure if there's another one coming out. It feels mostly settled. There were some questions where they could continue on if, if, if she wanted to um, and have a more of a series, but it felt fairly closed off. And then I'm like 90% through Secrets and Lies by Selena Montgomery, also known as Stacey Abrams. Yes, that one. Yeah. What? This is the big thing. Yeah. No I way. didn't know this either until this is the big thing that like, I mean, people knew this, but I think more people know it after the election. Everyone's like, did you know she's a romance writer? So yeah, she That's does it awesome. all. She's, yeah. Romantic okay. thrillers. Caitlin, who is, oh no, starts with Sebastian. He is a recovery specialist, which is a word for a fancy thief. So he steals from really rich people on behalf of other really rich people. So he has been sent to South America to recover this old book. Things go sideways. He has to partner with the niece of the man he was trying to steal from. There's things that happen. Car chases and mystery, like they're trying they're trying to figure out what what is the secret of the book and hiding out. And she's a scientist, so you know, you got smart women. So yeah. So I haven't, I'm, as I said, I'm about 90% through. I mean, I assume it's all going to turn out well because it's a romance. <laughs> so I figured I'd throw it in here because after this, I think I'm, I'm going to take a break from the romance and we'll go back into something else. I'm not quite sure what that is, but I kind of wanted to clear out my library queue a little bit because I have like three books that have been in transit for, I don't know, two weeks now. I'm not quite sure what's going on with that, but, but I know there, I mean, I know there's travel time and then quarantine time and more quarantine time and so I just I know those are coming <laughs> coming to me soon so I'm trying to get through as many things as possible um but yeah so that was my vacation reading so nothing um just us was fairly you know life-changing and dramatic but a lot of yeah a lot of just like a beach read basically except without the beach excellent well, I have three books to your eight. All three of mine increase were from really, it is. Um, all three were excellent too. Like really, really, really you are excellent. quality and I am quantity. <laughs> Not always, but I finally, I thought I had read People of the Book by Geraldine Brooks. Geraldine Brooks won the Pulitzer for her book, March. Mm-hmm several years ago. March is about the father in Little yep. Women, who's like a colonel in the war. Yeah, I don't think I've got um, anyway. books, and I don't know why. Oh my gosh. Right? Okay. Well, People of the Book was excellent. It was so good. I read it for book group. It was just very transportive and for a lot of different reasons. It has a very sweeping timeline. It starts in 1480 and goes until 2002. And it follows 
the Sarajevo Haggadah, which is this common prayer book for uh, Jewish prayer. And, so, and it was an actual book that turned up in Sarajevo. This is kind of how I understand it from her notes at the end of the book. Um, and along the way, so the main story is about a character called Hannah, who is a book restoration specialist out of Australia. It's also very global. It's, it's cool. And so she is called in to help restore this Haggadah in Sarajevo. And when she gets there, she it's under lock and key and she's got to do the restoration work under the eyes of a security guard and a museum officer because everybody is so concerned about the security of this book. So she works on it, she photographs the whole thing and then it's kind of an incredible mystery because there are pieces, there's like a little wing tucked into the book and they don't know why. And then there's like a splatter of something and they don't know what it is. And so each little clue takes you to a different time period and it unfolds like what the wing is from, what the splatter is, what the, there's like some water damage that they do some research on and different characters who had been caretakers of the book are able to tell their story. And it goes all the way back to the character who wrote the book, wrote and illustrated it. So I love this book for so many reasons. It has this sweeping timeline. It intersects all of these different critical points in history. There are really strong women who are either caretakers of the book or help in some major way with the book's passage or, or what have you. Also, Geraldine Brooks's writing is so good. Very descriptive, but not like when she's back in 1480, it's, it still feels really relevant, even though she's telling a story from a time when there's no technology. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's just all really, it's very accessible. Her writing is very accessible throughout. And I think that that just, there's strong characters, excellent plot, a mystery. It's kind of the total package. The same can be said for my second book, which is a brand new book called The Red Lotus by Chris Bajalian, I think is how you pronounce his name. And I have talked about him before, I think, but one of my favorite books that he wrote was The Midwives back in the late 90s. Yeah. And I always appreciate his writing because I think although the same could be said for Geraldine Brooks, tremendous research, but in a totally different way. Like he wants to make it feel authentic from the point of a, like a TSA officer or, you know, he just does the work to make these really interesting stories. So the Red Lotus is about, shocking coincidence, is about a pandemic or the, br- the brink of a pandemic The main character is Alexis and she is an ER doc in New York City. And her boyfriend, I think his name is Austin. Austin is a bicyclist and he wants to go on a tour of Vietnam on his bike. And it's like, they've only been together for six or eight months. They go, 
and right, right off the bat, and it's on the jacket, so I can say this, he disappears on his bike. There's a strong correlation between being an ER doc and being sort of like a, um, a private detective or, a, a you know, you have to figure out what's wrong. And she just can't let it go. And so she digs and digs and digs and ultimately hires a private detective to help her figure out where the boyfriend went. I don't want to spoil it for people because it's a new book and it's great. Shenanigans. I, yeah. Yeah. It's shenanigans from start to finish. Basically it's a giant mystery. It kind of creeps you out the, the pandemic side of it, especially because we're living through, I mean, I really want to talk to Chris Bahajalin and ask him like what inspired this because it feels it's not a viral pandemic if that can be said but it's not it's a small small consolation apparently quite a few books about pandemics that have come out in the past several months that because of when they came out were already in the works so they were like already done and on their way out so people are like what was going on that and then there are, there are more that i've heard of that um, people have were working on and decided not to continue with right now because they didn't want to bring That's up. Interesting. I so wonder if something in the zeitgeist. Yeah, and I think that the publishing machine plays to that a little bit. Like if they know. You know, like, I think that that's why that hillbilly elegy did so well after the 2016 election mm-hmm. was because of the outcome of that election. You know, I don't know that it would have had as much momentum had the election shaken out differently, mm-hmm. but I think, yeah, in some ways the timing is crazy. It was a little creepy to read about a pandemic or the possibility of a pandemic. They headed off at the pass. Just so you know. (laughs) So that was, that was red lotus. And the red lotus, as you know, is like a flower that is really common in Vietnam and Southeast Asia. And it, I guess it like sinks into the water at night and then during the day it blooms. And so that kind of secretive metaphor was great for this. And then I read... The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue oh, V.E. Schwab. And I'm going to drop it off on your doorstep because oh, you really? love this book. Oh, cool. Thank you. From start to finish, this book is awesome. This one, talk about Sweet Being Timeline, spans the last 300 years. And it is Addie LaRue's Invisible Life. And so she, in the late... 1600s she's on her way to the altar with a boy that she does not care about and she makes a deal with the dark shadows of the evening that she will do anything to have her freedom her freedom is granted and then she spends the next 50 years figuring out the cost of that freedom and the dark shadow visits her annually and then some to like try to get her to yield because if she yields, then he gets her soul. And this sounds a little hokey, but then you realize that she has really done the work of staying in these different time periods, you know, from, oh gosh, how she lives through the plague, 
how she lives through World War II, how she navigates modern society. It just from start to finish is so compelling. One of the things that the dark shadow takes from her is that, well, this is the major thing. She can meet you. And as soon as you, as soon as she leaves your line of sight, like to go to the bathroom, when she comes back, you don't remember who she is. So she can rent a hotel room for the night, but if she doesn't have proof of payment, then they'll kick her out. So she, there's no way for her to secure permanency in the world. And so she lives this really fringe existence and it is uncomfortable to be on this trajectory with her. And you're just tired for her for 300 years of this, but she will not yield to the darkness. So uh, her tenacity, and I can't even believe, I mean, she, she is really fully formed. It is an excellent plot and character-based novel. And it is totally an escape really great read from beginning to end. And she's able to, she can't leave her mark on the world in any way. She can't write her name. She can't draw in a sketchbook anymore. And so she encounters like different artists and is able to inspire them in a way that leaves her impression. Like with a painter will paint her likeness, but then when she's gone, he doesn't remember who she is. So it's like this mystery muse for artists and it's not just men. There's some women too, you know, she's got 300 years. So she is, she is like open-minded and, (laughs) but it's a great book. Yeah. It's awesome. Really excellent read. Yeah. It's definitely been one of the ones I've been excited about getting to. Cool. Yeah. All right. Under the tree. Yes, ma'am. Gift ideas. So for knitting, I know buying a yarn for people is really hard because because it is, unless you know exactly what they they need or want in terms of yarn. And gift cards are not always the most exciting, although definitely welcome. So I was going to recommend yarn kits from Lady Dye Yarns. She does so many, like three or four different kits a month, and they're all all themed. Um, Sometimes it's simple, like a a you know winter themed box and so they'll have yarn and usually a pattern or two and some little goodies maybe a bag a stitch marker but then some of them will be um, I've gotten a Hamilton kit from her she's done a couple of Schitt's Creek ones that have been very popular she has a bunch coming out next year that I'm excited about she's done you know like the 100th anniversary of women voting themed one so tons of pop culture and activist themed kits. So you can find something that your person might enjoy. Um, and they're pretty reasonably priced. I mean, some of them, depending on how much stuff is in it, is, are going to be more expensive, but a lot of them aren't too bad. It would definitely be, I think, a welcome gift. Um, and you, they usually are, you pre-order them. So that would, you know, you would have to tell your person they're going to have to wait a little bit, but once they come, they are they are lovely and the, the yarn is nice. That was the the giant green shawl that I made recently came from her. I think I talked about this before, but a scarf cuff, which is kind of a new thing. And it's a little, the ones I've seen, I think, or the one that I have at least is a, 
like a little leather bracelet more or less for your scarf. So you can put your scarf around your shoulders and then clip the cuff on instead of, instead of a scarf pin, it's little cuff. The one I have is leather and then has a, a metal design on it. So it's very cute. That one is from Birdie Parker designs. And so she has the cuffs and I think she has bracelets and earrings and all sorts of knitting theme jewelry that doesn't, doesn't look necessarily knitting themed unless you're, if you're a knitter, I think you would pick up on it, but other people would just think it's a pretty design. So that's all my knitting ideas. Any on the easel ideas. I want to tag on a couple, well, one knit related one. So I found this gorgeous yuzu scented detergent for woolens. I wasn't looking for detergent for knitted things, but for that wool jersey stuff that I I bought some wool jersey fabric and I wanted some gentle detergent for that. And so searched for woolen detergent and came across this one from Tangent GC and it's available through eileenfisher.com and it's it's so lightly scented. I used it to wash my scarf, my shawl, and I will use it for my handmade hand washes. And I thought that would be such a nice gift. It was a little price. I mean, it was like $22 for a container of detergent. But if you know a knitter or somebody who sews clothing, um, I thought that that would be a nice gift for them. And then for the gardener, people. My sister's a gardener. My friend Kelly is a gardener. Try looking at the Florette Farms. They're up in, I think, Washington State. And she does gorgeous seeds and bulbs. And you can order them now and have them delivered in the springtime. Or I'm not quite sure how the delivery goes for that kind of thing. Or perhaps Hudson Valley Seed Company and their packages. They often run a competition for artists to design the seed packages and they're really beautiful. So it's a good little stocking stuffer, gifty thing for your garden friends. And then for, I went kind of like like the yarn folks, the, the art folks, they have their special paints. They like the brushes that they like, but you can't go wrong with pencils and sketchbooks. So I am recommending um, CW Pencil Enterprise. They have a little shop in New York City and I visited with my sister last December and they are doing these little special pencil sets for like left-handed people or for sketchers or for musicians or like all of these different types of pencils. And it's in a cute little package and their labeling and packaging is great. So that's CW Pencil Enterprise. And then if you want to get really fun and custom, Carbon Crusader makes the funniest pencils. Well, she'll put anything you want on a pencil. You know, that she had quotes from different movies, Dirty Dancing, or you name it. She she has pencil sets from that, and you can do a custom set. And her pencils are great quality, even for sketching. It's just a really well-made number two pencil with a great eraser, and those are custom. And I think her shop, she has a website and then a shop through Etsy also. 
people get really particular about sketchbooks, but I have really had a great experience this year with the Kunst and Papier sketchbooks. They open flat. The paper is pretty decent quality for most mediums, unless you're a very wet painter. And it's just a great, it can go, it can go for any gender. It's not, it's just a really simple, clean sketchbook that will appeal to most people. So, oh, and the one other thing I wanted to recommend was for people who are into embroidery. I've seen a lot of people pick up embroidery right now. And I just saw that Sarah K. Benning is doing a whole bunch of adorable, her, her artwork is incredible and her hoops are on sale for a little stretch right here. And her kits are just beautiful. Lots of house plants and that kind of thing. And you should check her out. Okay then. Yeah, I think I got Simon some pencils from CW last year after you went to the shop. Yeah, they had all sorts of awesome kits. So he liked those. So for on the table... This one is actually sort of a, a double Omnivore Books, which we've talked about, which is our cookbook bookstore, uh, has a book club where you, it's a quarterly book club and they send you, I guess, I assume they're new, newish releases signed by the authors. So they did one last year, I guess, the, the chef that did the salt, fat, acid, heat. So it's not like leftover books that they just can't get rid of. It is apparently you know, new releases and things. So, so that's a little spendy, but if your person is a, is a cookbook aficionado and likes the the latest and greatest, um, that could be an interesting, interesting gift. And then this isn't a specific one, but kind of, and we take a little research on your part, but kind of shopping your local restaurants Our newspaper did a like food lovers guide to gifts. And a lot of them, their ideas were local restaurants that are selling some of their specialty products. So there was like a place that normally does breakfast that is doing their jam and their granola. So that would be super cute. Um, There's a tortilla place that's doing a tortilla kit. So I think, you know, both investing in your local community and finding good tasty foods would be really fun. And then as I continue my bean odyssey, I'm going to recommend Rancho Gordo. I have a lovely online selection of things plus their cookbooks for the beans as well so that could be a fun combination and they have some other spices and vinegars and and other things and they have recently restocked so now would probably be a good time to to go check them out and I've as you know (laughs) been super excited about many of their bean options those would be my recommendations great I wanted to recommend the diaspora spice company I think she is out of Oakland or the the company is out of Oakland and is women owned and she is a person of color, all fair trade, responsibly sourced spices. And she her packaging is like awesome, bright pink and orange, really colorful, great gift sets. That's Diaspora Spice Company. I also am giving a shout out to my home county or my former home county of Litchfield, Connecticut. Litchfield Distillery makes a mean bourbon. However, they also do a barrel-aged maple syrup in conjunction with um, a maple syrup group up in Vermont. And it is awesome maple syrup, and you can order it online. 
I also have lately been needing cutting boards and like serving boards. And I found a couple, I found one on Etsy, Monica, that says, this is where I murder my vegetables <laughs> and thought of you. I thought that was yeah. great, but I did, I did see a couple great ones on Etsy. And I think my only caveat to ordering from Etsy, especially right now when shipping takes a while is to make sure that you're ordering from the U S unfortunately, because shipping is taking so long to come from somewhere else. And so you can, well, unless you're not in the right. Unless or order from your particular area, but just it's in the search profile on the left-hand side, you can say, you know, in your region, or you can even do in your state or locally, if you want to support someone locally or, or yeah. So that is my caveat for Etsy. The other thing from Etsy that I saw that I thought would make a really good gift are those Swedish dish dish cloths. People have been silk screening them with the most adorable designs. They last a really long time. They're more sustainable than paper towels, obviously. Um, and they can, you can launder them. They just go the distance. And I love that they're decorative too. So that might be a good gift idea. And so I have a, a link there for the Swedish dishcloths. Nice. All right. For bookish people, if you have someone that likes audiobooks, they're, you know, probably on Audible, but maybe, maybe not, or maybe they want to support their local indie books. Libro FM is audiobooks, but you can buy them through your local bookstore. So they have subscriptions that you can purchase as a gift. So that might be an idea. There are also, I saw some phone cases, one with like old books on them on the cover. And then apparently there's someone, and this is on Etsy, um, that will do, you choose, uh, I'm not sure if it's you choose or she just has a selection of kind of classic novels. So on the, on your phone case, you could have like the Wizard of Oz or, you know, something like that. So that could be fun. That's fun. If they have a, a, a favorite book. I haven't checked to see if they're available for Android phones. They definitely had them for iPhones though. So, and then Modern Mrs. Darcy, who is the, the blog for, what should I read next? Did a bookmark roundup. I think she had like 25 different bookmarks. So all kinds of different ones. So I, I'll put a link to that one in there. I thought that was, that was fun. I always like using, I usually end up using the paper bookmarks from whatever store I bought the book at or my library reserve tag. Um, but it is kind of fun to use a, a nice one every once in a while. You have a bacon one somewhere. I do. That is in my Harry Potter book that I am currently reading, but I'm almost done. They're going to finish in February. So I'll have to find something else to do with that. I thought it would be fun to think about some book totes. So I found one that has a snail on it that I love. I just love snails. And I found a bibliophile one that is in an awesome font. These are both from Etsy. Um, if you are a sewist, you could make one. If you're a painter, you could paint some bookmarks and laminate them like I have done in the past. But anyway, back to the books. I also, I, for the past three years, have in the back of my ink and volt planner, have kept a running list of the books that I, of the books that I read. And I know that you are very digital and do that on Goodreads, but for your analog people, 
maybe a book journal or a planner um, where they can keep track of what they're reading. I also wrote down to check out the new releases from Omnivore Books for your book lover, or for your cookbook lovers, and also Chronicle Books, which is a publisher here in San Francisco. And they do, they don't do much fiction or literature, but they do do a lot of great gift type books. They do beautiful cookbooks. They do beautiful children's books, and then they have great stationery and that kind of thing. So give Chronicle Books a look. And I should tell you, Monica, because I always come across some kind of Moby Dick thing and think of your husband. They have Chronicle has a Moby Dick pop-up book right now and it is extraordinary. So gosh, darn it. I know. I have an idea. Cause it, was it last year that you found like the huge illustrated like one? Illustrated one. Yeah. Yeah. That one was beautiful too. So we can add to our collection. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. I was going to see if I could find a phone cover for him with Mummy Dick on it. Oh, great. But now I know we have the pop-up book, so that's good too. A little bit easier to find. Well, I think that that, that is a wrap. Yeah, we have one more episode and then it'll probably be our Christmas holiday break. So I hope everyone had a decent Thanksgiving and uh, continues to be safe. And, uh, and wear, wear your masks. Wear your masks. And until next time, do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.